There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Welcome to My Millennial Property with John Pigeon and Emily Wallace. Um, today we've got an exciting interview with a former NRL superstar, calling him superstar. But uh, before we go there, we wanted to talk about what's going to land in your laps over the coming days, Emily. Definitely. So if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. We love new listeners. Um, definitely listen to this episode. Obviously, you've already started it. But if you are new to the podcast or this is maybe just one, a random one that you've clicked on, I would definitely encourage you to have a little look back to last week's episode, which was around the outlook of the property market for 2022. So John and I unpacked quite a few key indicators as to what we feel is going to happen in the market. And if you're someone who's considering purchasing, this year um, or just like to know what's going on, then maybe refer back to that episode. And if it's 2024 and you're listening, then it's not relevant at all, so don't bother. (laughs) Very true. Alrighty, let's get into it. Now, Matt, we are so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Uh, Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Now, everybody loves a good story, and I know John and I are going to learn about your story alongside the listeners today, Um, and as John mentioned in the intro, an NRL superstar, which is very exciting. So, maybe if we go from the start of that, how did being in in the NRL, in the league, all come about for you? Yeah, uh, I guess firstly, John, really appreciate the superstar tag. I I don't know about that, but uh, I'll take it. Look, it started for me, I was born and bred in Brisbane, obviously a Queenslander. I know in, in Melbourne, AFL's big down there and Queensland rugby league's quite big up here. So yeah, from about five years old, I started playing rugby league and my dream was always to play professionally and yeah, ended up getting there when I was uh, 19, kind of thing, straight out of school. So I was really grateful to ha- have a good career and whatnot. And yeah, it was my whole life. It's a, it's a bit of a bubble, the professional sports scene. So it's uh, it was a good journey to get there. Now, this has no relativity to property whatsoever, Matt, this question, but um, I'm always interested being a sports nerd myself. Uh, every, every kid that plays sport or a lot of kids that play sport want to actually make it to the top level. Um, but majority don't, and it's fair to say that probably 99% don't. Um, were you, uh, did you work hard or did you have uh, good genes or did you have a combination of both? I always put it, John, it, it was quite the opposite. I, uh, I was one of the smaller kids growing up. My mum's from an Asian heritage and she, she'd be only five foot if, if that. And uh, my, my dad was European and um, obviously I sort of got that hard knows growing up discipline from my European dad, but also the work ethic of my mum coming from nothing in, in the Philippines. So 
I'll put it in perspective, I, I was never really naturally gifted in terms of being an athlete, so to speak, but I always had a go. And one thing, I had an older brother who was six years older than me. So I love unpacking like people's childhood. And I always look back like my whole childhood was really competitive. We'd compete running to the bins and back, um, having a wrestle, uh, maths quiz and everything. It was a competition. And generally, I'd lose most of my life because he had the age advantage. So I think that just instilled a competitive nurture in me. And yeah, it's always kind of been there. So uh, combine that with a disciplined father and uh, a mum who works hard, I guess that it, it is cliche. I, I do believe uh, hard work speak talent when talent doesn't work hard, that's for sure. Sounds like a very good combination to get you to where you are, especially, you know, in the form of sporting as well, but I'm sure it's applicable to across all facets of, of life. So how long, just to paint the picture of being in the NRL, how long were you playing for? I was playing professionally, pretty much straight out of school. I jumped into a, a full-time system, they call it. So I worked part-time when I was about 18 and then I was in the junior Gold Coast Titans ranks and then eventually ended up full-time when I was 19. And yeah, it was the best feeling ever getting a full-time contract so I could kind of leave my job and um, really focus on being an athlete. And then I had a career that lasted around seven years and unfortunately was cut short due to injury. So uh, yeah, really tough pill to swallow. Obviously, that was my whole dream. Uh, And obviously, I had envisions of playing till I was you know, 30, mid-30s, but unfortunately I had to retire at the age of uh, 26 just due to injury. So still very grateful. I got to live out my dream and had a really good career over a few years. Awesome. So on the, I suppose on the story to, of money, um, from when you first started playing as a 17, 18-year-old or, or basically a school school age person, um, how did uh, how did the money situation expand over the journey that in over that six, seven, eight, nine years? Because what um, professional sports people are getting paid now is very different to what it was like ten years ago. Yeah, definitely, it's a good question, John. Like, I think back now, now being more aware with money and everything, like it's crazy to think some of these kids straight out of school are earning well above the average wage and their mindset though is still that of a teenager so there's no real education or training so you can think of it give give a teenager six figures and see what they do with it you know it's one thing i did notice it was very minuscule the people who are doing positive things with money i'm i'm going to be honest i guess for me i was really lucky my because my parents came from really uh, I guess, humble beginnings as immigrants and whatnot. They were very tight with money growing up. So I guess I was always the under impression like uh, my money habits at home were very much uh, scarcity, which again, isn't a positive either. So um, so that that was instilled in me and, and I was I just became a bit of a, the, a saver, I guess. But then I was amongst some guys who were putting their money to work. So I, I got some good habits from parents, but also good habits from teammates. But across the board, I think there needs to be more education around um, kids doing stuff or just positive things with money because 
it's such a small window that they're going to realise that that salary they're getting doesn't last forever. Mm. That's very true and certainly something that um, I know, I mean, the whole My Millennial mm. community is so big on education and financial literacy from as young as possible, really. Um, but also I think you need to have an adult brain to be able to process that and put mm. the right things in place. So, um, yeah, usually the people who are, are listening to either this or the main show or one of the other shows are in that education phase and, you know, trying to understand the mindset around money, which is so vital what would you say are your biggest learnings around mindset towards money and towards wealth more generally? I think it's around making it work for you. So one thing I, I got from my parents was obviously the value of money. You know, it, it, it can get you things and you need to treat it, like don't abuse it. But then on the other side, what I see the astute, people who have got attained wealth, uh, financial wealth that is, they make money work for them. So I think that's a mindset. And I read that classic book, uh, Robert Kiyosaki's um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think that's a really good basic learning to understand. You can use other people's money and also make money work for you and think around what's the return on the investment. So my parents didn't have that. They were more savers only spend when you needed to kind of thing. But uh, I think, yeah, making money work for you is a good mindset to, I guess, start with. Yeah, it's a really interesting point, isn't it, Emily? Like you've mentioned, Matt, that you've, you've, you grew up with scarcity um, in, in the money space, but you've also been able to learn leveraging and the power of leveraging money and, and using other people's money, not like stealing, but actually yeah. money from the banks, right, um, is what I'm sure you meant. But how did you transition from that? Because mum and dad may have been saying, oh, Matt, save it all, keep it for a rainy day, don't, don't uh, borrow money when you can't afford it, don't, don't go out and enjoy life almost. Um, where was that transition point and, and were there certain people in your life other than Kiyosaki that uh, influenced you there? Yeah, well, this is a big one as well with mindset is – Sometimes those closest to you are holding you back as well. I love my parents. They raised me who I am. Uh, to paint a picture, I didn't tell them I purchased my first property for 18 months because I didn't want to stress them out because they were under the impression, no, you've got to buy things outright, no debt, all those sorts of things. So my first few properties I purchased, they, have no, they had no idea about because I knew it'd stress them out. So... I kept the blinkers on, educated myself, mainly through like YouTube, to be honest, and magazines. And then, yeah, just spoke to different people in, in my circle who I'd seen were doing things. Um, but more so, yeah, it was, it was stuff I seen on YouTube. I was going to seminars, reading magazines, investor magazines, all those sorts of things. And then when I accumulated enough for that first uh, deposit, I just thought, you know, I'm not going to tell mum and dad, I'm going to have a crack myself. And uh, it's uh, looking back now, if I, if I listened to my parents, I probably wouldn't be where I am. But in saying that, they were only doing what they thought was best for me with what they've been brought up with as well, you know. So them coming from nothing, obviously, it's a different mindset. So that's, that's probably a big one if it adds value. It's like always take things from everyone. But at the end of the day, you've got to be educated yourself. Mm. 
It's a really valid point, particularly uh, I think both John and I experienced this with, you know, when clients looking to buy properties or considering, you know, starting to invest or buy their own home. Um, it, you're so right. Maybe the, the people around you actually sometimes aren't on the same trajectory or maybe just don't have the same mindset and might even talk you out yes. of doing what you actually want to do. Um, it's so interesting that you, I guess, hid the per- your first purchase from your um, your parents. I assume that was an investment property because otherwise they were visiting, they, uh, they wouldn't be coming around well, it, <laughs> to your it own was, home. No, it was actually an owner-off, believe it or not. Oh, was it? Yeah. So, <laughs> when it settled, even then, I, I bought all the furniture and all those sorts of things and because uh, it was on the Gold Coast, they were from Brisbane. Oh. Uh, I let it slip eventually. And um, yeah, they, they come down every now and again. But <laughs> <laughs> I hear what you're saying, Matt. I, I uh, hid from my mum for about 18 months uh, that I quit teaching as well because it was, uh, in her mind, very safe yes. and, and secure. And until and the day she died, she was still bugging me about, when are you going back to teaching? So. Yep. Uh, <laughs> So and true. you are teaching, John, just in a very different way. We both are. Correct, it's yeah. Just a very different way. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So tell us about this property journey for you, Matt. When did it start? What was, uh, when was your first purchase um, and, and how did the lending process go? What was your knowledge around it? Would you, do, would you have done anything different? Yes, definitely would have done stuff differently. But <laughs> hindsight's awesome, isn't it? Like your learnings along the journey. But again, doing what you knew at the time. So... Firstly, it started with education and things like that. I was starting to play some consistent first grade football, which was good. And I was on a a match payment bonus. So as a younger kid, when you become a bit more established in the NRL, you got your fixed salary for say three, four years. But when you're a young gun trying to make it and grind, you get paid a minimal salary, but you get bonuses per game you play. And I was really fortunate that I had a really good year in the junior system. They upgraded me into the NRL and I took that opportunity and uh, just by kind of luck, the the starting guy who was in my position had a shoulder reconstruction and was out for the rest of the year. So there was me and three other guys. I had a crack at it and I was just like, I'm not letting this opportunity slip. And I ended up playing the whole year back to back, which allowed me to save up a nice deposit and then I literally got my first place when I was 22 after reading, yeah, just a lot of stuff. And I lent a lot on uh, the broker at the time because, again, I had no idea, but I really needed to find people who I could sort of trust and understand what a deposit is and uh, how does the interest rate thing work and all those sorts of things. So that's, that's where it started. And then when I got my first place, I just got more deep into it and started looking at, okay, investing now. So uh, if I had my time over, I'd look at investing potentially first, you know, rather than getting an owner-occupier. That, that's, I, as I said, I love where I live. I still live in that owner-occupier. But in saying that, if you're in a position where you could potentially get an investment property to, to start the journey, uh, I'd, I'd consider that for sure. And, and why would that be, Matt? Because that, that's a really interesting um, debate and, and has been since I was a kid. Like wh- why would you buy your own home? Why would you rent vest? Uh, rent money's dead money, all the cliches out there. Why, why would you have changed that? 
I guess when you look at property as a like commodity, you know, and I always say to people like I see property, the commodity is shelter. So unless shelter is going out of fashion anytime soon, I think it's a pretty safe bet, you know, if you're buying in the right locations. I just see a lot of people, especially when I was uh, younger, maybe I could have utilized that deposit to get maybe break and split the loan up into two to three good investment properties and rent. And at my age now, they'd be worth X amount and I could have had a, a something more juicy. But as I said, at the time, I still live in this place. I wouldn't trade it for anything and it's, the location's done really well. But for any adding value to any younger people out there, don't always think you've got to move into your dream property first because it's definitely not, like I'm not going to live in this forever. I'll rent it out 100% and be turned into an IP. But have that mindset of you don't need the white picket fence straight away. You know, Maybe you can leapfrog your way there and use property as a vehicle to get you there. Totally. We often have this debate. It often comes up in Q&As on our Facebook group as well. You know, what should I do? I've got X amount of deposit. How should I spend it for my first purchase? And there really is no right or wrong. It obviously does come down to comfort levels of the particular person. But I think there is a lot more awareness of the rent vesting strategy um, for first time buyers uh, to get into the market. And then, as you said, you know, make it work for you to actually leapfrog into the ultimate dream home. So always an interesting one. I'm certainly keen to hear a bit more about the next steps in your property journey. We're going to take a quick break and we'll pick it up from there. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Matt, first property was the house that you still live in, which is um, pretty cool. And so, you bought it at age 22. What did the next step in your property journey look like? Yeah, so then I started getting deep into it more. I started looking at more YouTube and seminars and uh just a side note, I realized as well in the property world, there's a lot of education, but some of the education's not in your best interest. Mm. So that's one thing I can add to any young people out there. 
I think I might have heard you say this, Emily, and I've said this to many people. If the advice is free, generally you're the product, you know? So I remember you said something about it somewhere. I don't know where it was, but I, I, I educate so many young people on that, that just be careful of where you're getting your advice from and, and uh, is it in your best interest? I just wanted to add that because in the property world, I've seen it all, like seminars, um, all these meetup groups, forums, all those sorts of things. There's uh, a lot of different things. Just, just always look into it before uh, parting with money. With, with professionals there. So we start need to start charging for this podcast? Is that what you're yeah. saying, Matt? <laughs> 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 with the exception of podcasts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jet, you know what I mean. But yeah, um, no, that's a good point. Yeah. But and so how, how it sort of went from there is, yeah, just started learning more, understanding more on that land is what goes up and the fixtures and fittings is what depreciates. I, I sort of – so it sounds basic but – Location does 80% of the heavy lifting. That was one mantra that always stayed with me. So I was looking at land to asset ratios. And while I was still young, I was ready to go again. And I was looking, okay, how can I get in the best location possible in a good block, but own as much as the land? So because I was younger, I, I couldn't really afford like another great house in a blue chip location. So uh, I actually bought a unit. So... My tip with the unit was I just try to find as minimal in the complex as possible with uh, scarcity and good location. So I, as you do when you're young, sometimes you buy where you're familiar. So that's that's quick side note as well. Don't be afraid of either borderless investing or investing somewhere else. You don't always have to invest where you're comfortable. But again, I was younger. I, I liked where I live. So I was like, oh, I'll buy investment property, my first one in there. And yeah, it was just a pack of eight corner block. You can see the ocean from it and it's really low set, no lifts, no pool. Yeah, it was, it was very ugly, but the bones were good. So, uh, and the rent was good. Like, oh, it was basic. So uh, no, no levies or uh, small levies, sorry. And that was sort of the first um, purchase from there with the unit. Do you still own that property? Yeah. So yep. my goal with my portfolio is to really hold them long term. I don't really – I think for the first year I've just been focusing on building sort of like bread and butter, just get good cash flow plus good capital growth. So I started moving into – after that one, I started looking more into houses then. So I ended up getting a, a house in uh, the Brisbane area and – same thing, how close to blue chip area could I get? Owning much land as possible, my land to asset ratio, good. Yet still being able to maximize rent somehow through maybe paint, carpet, fans, something as simple as that. Yeah. And so what was the gap in terms of buying investment property number one to then going into number two? What was the sort of time frame? 23. I'd say around... 12 months I started my goal was always to get one more each year from then on as long as I could service so that that was probably another thing I learned in the journey is banks it's a game of finance uh if the bank's not going to lend you money it's game over really so uh one thing I 
looking back, this is a big learning for me is I could have really leveraged the salary I was on when I was playing NRL a lot harder. And knowing what I know now, as I said, it's a learning, but I was on good money as a 24, 25 year old. Then I retired and then the income stopped and banks were like, well, you don't have a job. So, <laughs> it did, you know, I, I learned the importance. I would have went a lot harder. So adding value, if there's any buyers or people in there who've got on a contract job or some sort of good income for a certain amount of period, try and utilize that at the bank. Maybe try and extract equity or, or get approval in place, get that offset set up, get it all set up. So if an opportunity does come, at least you can um, act on it kind of thing. That was one big learning I, uh, I realized that finance is key. Mm. Yeah, it's a really important one, isn't it? Like, I coach and educate a lot of athletes at a higher level and, and they think they're, they're going to be playing forever don't, yeah. um, at, at an early age and realise that it does come to a halt pretty quick, whether that be injury or, or form. Um, but interesting, when you first started, you mentioned about the broker and how you had to lean on that person for knowledge and and. Brokers, as we know, get paid by the banks, so we don't pay for their service. So the amount of knowledge and education that they actually give you is wide and varied. Some are happy to give it and spend some time with you for that long-term relationship. Others are like, well, hang on a minute. Um, this is not uh, not worth my while um, teaching this guy how to build a portfolio. So as you said, it's really important. But um, as an athlete, did you tap into the whole Westpac ninety um, percent no LMI that uh, that you have the privilege of receiving. No, I I did uh, I was close to, but this is another learning. Actually, my first one was with a broker, but he was working for like a he was work more for a bank, and it was a bank that my parents used, and it was just like okay, I'll just do that. Again, learning maybe the bank is the best play for you, but what I found is what would have been best for me was actually going through a broker and, and assessing which loan structure would have been best for me uh, because when I did the numbers, if I went to a broker, I would have been far better off um, if I didn't go through a bank, so to speak. So that was one key learning there. So after my second one, I started using a broker only and um, yeah, just kept going from there and ended up buying another one in um, Brisbane, uh, up the other side of Brisbane and yeah, each year after that, I was sort of really just focusing on, okay, income's at a certain level, what can I borrow? And then where can I, in Australia, put that to work that I think it's going to do okay? Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's, that brings you to your third investment or second investment? So you've got two in Brisbane, one on the Gold Coast? Yeah, so sorry, the, yep, the owner of in the Gold Coast. Yep. And then, um, and just on that as well, I was renting uh, at periods, renting bedrooms out. Mm-hmm. I know young people, sometimes it helps with, uh, you know, just chat to your accountant first, obviously. I'm not giving <laughs> advice here, but <laughs> just uh, utilizing, you know, potential as a young person with no kids and that. There's some mm-hmm. young people in here who might be thinking of different things like that. But, um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, so that got me into the unit on the Gold Coast and then I started looking into other markets. So Brisbane and then got another house at the northern side of Brisbane in uh, the Moreton Bay region. Yep. Again, standard home, the zoning was a big one. I started getting into, okay, now what's some X factor with property? So I started learning around 
zoning changes and how that affects property and land value for future, started looking at, well, a corner block versus a, a standard block kind of thing. Started looking at medium density blocks versus single density blocks kind of thing. And then little infrastructure drivers, I started getting into, well, why do some areas, why are all the capital cities generally doing better, you know, and I started understanding like employment growth's important and uh, va- understanding vacancy rates and using SQM research and all those sorts of things. So that opened me up to looking for other assets. So um, yeah, that led me into my fourth one there. And then I ended up purchasing another one um, on the other side of uh, Brisbane. And then my basically work stopped and I've been sort of tap- tapped out if that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, we're, we're heavily, I suppose, centralised into that Brisbane, Gold Coast, well, call it Queensland um, market. So we're hoping that there's some good growth in, in southeast Queensland for years to come, which at the time of speaking, uh, that there's, there is some good growth. So hopefully your whole portfolio is doing well. Um, at, at that time when you exited from NRL, uh, if you were to continue that income, would you have been able to still keep borrowing or like I suppose what I'm getting at is is what did the cash flow of your portfolio look like and how important did you see that um, as and were you planning for life after NRL to say, well, my cash flow might be down in my personal life because of income, so my portfolio needs to be up in cash flow? Exactly right. So after the – pretty much I retired at the third property. So I was at a – weird period where I was going one per year, retired, income completely stopped. Then I had around a year and a half before I got the um, next two. But those next two were really difficult because I was on minimum wage again in back in the real world. And this is where I really had to think creatively. So there was a period I actually moved back home to turn my uh, Palm Beach one that was always that one's close to the beach and that one's going to rent really well. So I was like, I need to boost my servicing to be able to extract another loan so I can go again. So it was thinking outside the box and understanding, hey, I need to show the banks that I can service this. I had obviously the cash, equity, I just couldn't service. So I had to, uh, another thing, I, d- I did little renos as well to bump the rent up on each property I had existing so paint, carpet, fans and blinds was the strategy I was going with. It, it upped the rent probably 20 to $40 on some of them per week, which as a whole, I just got there and was able to secure two more properties just. So the last one, I had to go with a second tier lender, uh, if that makes sense, like one of the easier ones to service with. Mm. Okay, so for the listeners, second tier lender, basically someone that uh, may be still owned by the big four, uh, banks, ANZ, Westpac, etc., but uh, may be a little bit more risk adverse in what they take on as clientele. Uh, and as a result, the interest rates might be higher or, or they may accept low doc application. So um, you've been really strategic in your thinking, Matt, in, in sourcing someone like that because, again, general consensus is, oh, don't go to anyone other than the big four yes. because they're not reliable, right? But the true um, facts around that are that every everyone who's lending in Australia – 
as a bank or an institution has been approved um, to do that. So did you end up paying a, a slightly higher interest rate for that privilege or how did that play out? It was slightly higher, but also, um, again, this is the linking up with a good broker as well. So after my second one, I stayed with the same broker and he was a property investor himself. So we were on the same, that was the main thing, we were on the same wavelength. So not so much looking at the next purchase, looking at my ultimate goal in terms of a 10, 15 year plan where knowing, hey, we can't always stick to this bank or this bank because you're gonna be capped. So we're spreading eggs. I guess one thing, adding value again is that word diversification, not only with property type, um, but also lenders, I guess, as well because I was learning things around that where you can, yeah, you can really be stuck if you get it wrong. So yeah, it was slightly higher, but it, looking at it now, now that I've been tapped out for probably the last um, 12 to 14 months, it's the opportunity far outweighs that minimal interest rate difference um, kind of thing. And the goal is once I can borrow again, I'm going to uh, potentially refinance and, look at everything different. So don't be scared of even like LMI. I didn't pay LMI, but some people talk around LMI being an opportunity cost sometimes as well to get into a certain property. If, if that area and that property dwelling is going to grow at X percent, that's going to outweigh the LMI cost. Well, then it makes sense, doesn't it? Definitely. I think there's a lot of misconceptions around LMI and seen as this like oh, evil thing, but it's really not, I've copped a bit of LMI personally just to get into certain things quicker um, and it, it is a matter of assessing, you know, the opportunity of that, um, opportunity cost as it were. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's not all bad LMI. Not that we're saying go out and, you know, maximise LMI by any means, not advice, but just um, the mindset around LMI is one that I think people immediately go, mm. it's not a good thing but you just need to understand it in a bit more depth. Definitely. Some been some key takeaways here that, uh, Emily, we probably hear time and time again, don't we? Educate yourself, get yourself a good team of people, uh, be strategic in your thinking, don't be afraid to, to move on from a broker or a bank and, and uh, think outside the box. But the, the one thing that really impressed me is uh, you decided to drop the ego and move back home right, to, to be able to continue to move forward, which is, is outstanding in your thinking because a lot of people aren't prepared to do that because they want to maintain their lifestyle now and, and not forego that. So you've, you've uh, really, uh, I suppose, given yourself the best chance of, of um, financial security by just making that little t uh, move to be able to continue to lend. Yeah, it's, it's something for young people as well. There's always trying to think outside the box. I was always thinking, look, I'm obviously, well, I'm hoping, you know, be married with kids one day and things like that. It's going to be a lot harder to take those little lifestyle risks, you know, when you're, you're, you're on your own or you just got a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, and you're young, no other commitments. I think that's the best time to be able to think, play the long game, like delayed gratification is something to always think. I think everyone in their 20s, wants everything tomorrow. Whereas what I'm learning, the older I'm getting is far out. I'm still so young. There's plenty of time. So for the listeners, how old are you at the moment, Matt? I'm, I'm 31, but feeling 20. No. <laughs> your body, your body's feeling fifty. Yeah. <laughs> yep, you're exactly right. Uh, good. So four properties by thirty. 
that's uh, that's a pretty good outcome. And as we always speak about, it's not necessarily the the number of properties, but what they're perf- what they're doing for you in your in your life and and their performance. Are they giving cash flow? Are they giving capital growth? Are they giving a combination of both? Are they making you happy, sad, etc.? Hundred percent. Well, Matt, I really do appreciate you sharing with us, you know, your your journey, not only from a professional point, but also um, property related. I'm sure there's been a lot of key takeaways for people listening in today. So thanks for being so open and um, transparent and share, sharing everything with us. No, no worries. Thanks for having me. It's uh, been great and hopefully it's added some value to, especially the younger community. You know, I see so many it's really cool to see the generation shift of younger people and it's a credit to the podcast like this one. You know, you guys are offering really good advice to some of the younger people out there and giving good education. I wish some of this stuff was around when I was younger, that's for sure. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for uh, taking the time to come on. It's been great. No worries. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in today. If you really enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to give us a little rating. John and I do love seeing them come through. Feedback, whether it's positive, uh, negative or indifferent, doesn't really matter. We just like to hear the feedback. And if you ever did have recommendations of a guest that you would like for us to have on the podcast, please feel free to post in the My Millennial Money Facebook group and let us know what topic you'd like us to cover and who with. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. We'll be back next week. Okay, bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.